0: Yes. All right. So, everybody, welcome to Episode 10 of Marvel Reread Club.
1: Yes, absolutely. So this is Steve and Matt. I'm Steve. I'm Matt. And hopefully you should know that by now, since, you know, we've been doing this for a little while. I feel like we're lucky in that,
0: you know, I've been listening to Adventure Zone, which is a podcast by the guys who do My Brother, My Brother, and Me, and then they do a podcast where they play D&D, and I'm possibly working on a project that might involve D&D, so I've been listening to the podcast, and I find it very hard to tell their voices apart because they're brothers, and I'm I'm like, oh, these are brothers, and, you know, I knew that one of them, I knew one of them from the podcast Sawbones, where he talks about medical history with his wife. And I'm like, okay, I'll listen to that podcast he does his brothers. And then I'm listening to his, brothers. I'm like, his brothers sound just like him. I can't tell these three people apart. But I think that nobody has a hard time telling us apart. I think that you have a more baritone voice than I do. And I think that we have significant, I think we have mm-hmm. uh, sufficiently,
1: that's what we're looking for, sufficiently okay. distinct voices. Uh, I don't know. Maybe so. It had occurred to me when I was doing some of the editing of actually Slightly tilting the um, the you know one voice to the right channel and one voice to the left channel, uh, but then I realized no, people these days often just have like one earbud in, and that might yeah work. exactly. <laughs> I was like, I often have just one earbud in when I'm listening to podcasts. I was like, yeah, that won't work, unfortunately. Seems I
0: would like, I mm-hmm. would sooner gouge an organ out than have just one earbud in, but I I <laughs> acknowledge that some people might do that. Great. Well, so we have we are here to discuss a bunch of Marvel Comics tonight, but first there we have actual news. You know, you wouldn't think that in regarding the Marvel Comics of the early 1960s there would be a lot of news, but there has been huge news this week, which is that Marvel Comics for the first time has acknowledged Jack Kirby as a co-writer of Fantastic Four number 1.
1: Did oh, really? you hear about this? I had not heard about this.
0: So they announced that they were going to be celebrating Fantastic Four number one. And the way they were going to celebrate it somewhat dubiously was that they were going to invite a bunch of artists to re-illustrate the issue and go like, oh, well, that's that's the big problem with Fantastic Four number one is all that curvy art. Let's get <laughs> rid of that and let's replace it with a bunch of different artists. Uh, illustrating Stan's story. Well, of course, this is 2021, and Marvel still, to this day, when they publishes their comics from the early 60s, they still publish them as just being listed as Stanley writer, Jack Kirby artist. And even though that is, you know, generally regarded by historians and certainly the fan community as not being sufficient credit wise for Jack and this finally was the tipping point. They said, yes, we're going to have a bunch of artists re-illustrating the issue, the issue that was written by Stan and Jack. All right. And right? so they are, They are, this was finally, you know, removing Kirby from the process entirely, finally forced them to admit like, oh, right, he should still get some running credit. So this is a huge uh, turning point. We will see if they ever go back. And, you know, when they publish, obviously they're not publishing as many trades these days as they used to, but at some point they should go back and republish all these trades and go like, okay, you know, let's go ahead and give Jack at least co-writing credit on each of these issues and give, uh, you know, I assume Steve gets co-writing credit on the issues where he got co-writing credit in the original issues or got solo plotting credit in the original issues, but giving him co-writing credit in the issues before he was getting that credit would be wonderful as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. No, I had not heard that. That's, uh, good for them uh i mean you know a little late but you know (laughs) it's you know but better than the alternative i guess all right so where are we here what are we uh where are we tonight january january 20 no 20 something january 1963 i believe is that correct yes
0: the marvel universe just published one superhero comic in 1961 fantastic four number one from november 1961 then we have so far in this Podcast covered lots of great Marvel comics from 1962. At first, Fantastic Four was bi-monthly and then eventually became monthly, and then a bunch of other comics joined the stable. And now we are moving into 1963. Now, this tonight we are going to cover Fantastic Four number 10, Incredible Hulk number five, Journey into Mystery number 88 featuring Thor's, Strange Tales number 104 featuring the Human Torch, and Tales to Astonish 39 featuring Ant-Man.
1: Good. I read the right comics. Yes. Good. (laughs) Which is good because I actually, we were late starting to record today since I hadn't done my homework and I had to go and reread some of these. Uh, So yeah. Okay. Good. I did the right thing. This is a reread club. That is what we do at the reread club. We reread. That's right. So even though I have read these uh, within my adulthood, uh, I needed to go back and reread them for this. Okay. So let's go ahead and start with, start 1963
0: Marvel with Fantastic Four number 10. All right. Let's so do it. on the cover, it says, hold your breath. Here is the return of Dr. Doom. And then we have two jokers here on the cover that we only see the backs of the heads of. It's Stan and Jack. So we yep. have Stan saying, how's this for a twist, Jack? We've got Dr. Doom as one of the Fantastic Four. And then Jack, who is shorter, says, and Mr. Fantastic himself is the villain. Our fans ought to flip over this yarn. And then there's a arrow pointing toward them saying, in this epic issue, surprise follows surprise, as you actually meet Lee and Kirby in this story, plus a gorgeous
1: pinup of the invisible girl. And Mr. Fantastic is in the bottom right-hand corner looking positively malevolent. <laughs> um, <laughs> it doesn't matter whose body...
0: The villain has when the vill- the villain's mind is in a good person's body. That body turns totally evil under Kirby's pen and Mr. Fantastic with Dr. Doom's mind in him could not look more evil here. He has truly
1: evil Kirby eyebrows. Yes. And he will throughout the book when he is also similarly possessed. It's just a you know amazing that anyone would not recognize that this is uh, that this is an evil version of uh, Mister Fantastic.
0: All right. But eventually they figure it
1: out. We'll get to that. Uh, spoiler okay. alert. Spoiler alert. Okay. So. so- yeah. So so uh, do you want to try to summarize here or would you right. like me so to? So let's
0: quickly sum this issue. So we right. begin with Reed is studying Sue's invisibility. Then he sees that the thing has sent up a flare summoning the Fantastic Four. Unfortunately, he and Sue and Johnny have gotten locked in his lab where the nuclear lock mechanism is jammed. But eventually <laughs> they manage to get out. They get across town. They find that Thing has summoned them to see Alicia's statues of their villains. So the first time it's made clear that Alicia is a sculptress, not just like someone who tinkers with puppets like her father. And Sue, of course, wonders why they consider Submariner to be a villain. And Reed (laughs) finally has to put it on the carpet. Reed then says, I'm glad you mentioned that, Sue. I've... I've been wanting to talk to you about the submariner. I always thought that we had an understanding, Sue. I thought when the time was right that you and I—I I mean, so uh, someone who just has general assumptions about what women owe him, I think, and not uh, <laughs> not an understanding that he actually has to work for this in any way, shape, or form. She then, uh, holding her own, says, "Don't say it, Reed. Please, not now, not yet. I'm not even sure of my own feelings." So she is always been more than willing to say that she has feelings for some Mariner and willing to say that to reed's face and not very willing to just go along with reed's plan of going like i shouldn't have to say anything you should just <laughs> be so into
1: me because after all i named myself mr fantastic <laughs> <laughs>
0: well
1: I, you know i i'm i'm reminded of those those things like how to talk to your fiance about the submariner <laughs> you know, a, little, a little self-help book <laughs> exactly relationship advice and, and johnny is being a uh, uh uh, actually, probably a little young for his age here, and is being like, "I'm glad I don't have to deal with that mushy adult stuff." Yeah, <laughs> well, it that seems more like a 12 year old or a you know 10 year old's uh, uh, reaction to this.
0: Well, they go back and forth. So we've just had Aunt Johnny's own book, you know, his first hint of romance. But even there, he was pretty he was pretty yucked out by romance at his own book as well. To be fair. that's true. Yeah,
1: yeah. But so, so, then
0: we move on. <laughs> then we move on. Suddenly. Because this is 1963 Marvel, because this is an insane world, we cut to Stanley and Jack Kirby, who are hanging out in their offices. Uh it's it never says the Marble offices. It says the office, it says the studio of Kirby and Lee on Madison Avenue, which is where Marvel had their offices, and The most fascinating thing we get right away was, so first of all, we never see the fronts of their faces. We only see the backs of their heads of Lee and Kirby throughout this issue as they become characters in the book. But the first thing we see Lee and Kirby doing, the very first thing we see is we see Jack Kirby creating a character and pitching that character to Stan Lee. So, and all of this endless years of debate about whether or not Stan or Jack created the characters... (laughs) <laughs> the first time they show themselves in the comic, you've got, Stan, you've got Jack has drawn a character and he says, how about someone like this for our villain, Stan? We can call him False Face. And then Stan says, not bad, Jack, but I think he sounds a little too commonplace. Our fans have grown to expect real exciting supervillains from us. So right away here on the page, we have Jack coming up with the characters from his own mind and then pitching them to Stan, which is... <laughs> Why did we have all these endless debates in the 1980s about whether Stan pitched the characters to Jack or Jack pitched the characters to Stan, when the very first time we see them in this comic, Jack is pitching the characters to Stan?
1: Well, but then at the same time, you know, he's pitching characters to Stan, and Stan is like, "Eh, no, that's not what we want. We need something a little different. We need something a little better. So it is sort of shown as a back and forth, but certainly... Certainly, you know, Jack deserves more credit than he originally got. I mean, yes. they're, they're pretty much acknowledging that here really early on. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 I think it shows definitely a creative um, uh, synergy going on here between them. It's my understanding that Jack Kirby tended to work in an office in his own house and would just come up to the Marvel offices Maybe once a week or so to drop off pages and discuss upcoming plots. Yeah. So, uh, so
0: yeah, but... this is so we have this sort of fiction here of Stan right. and
1: Jack working in the same office nine to five at Madison Avenue when in fact Jack was telecommuting already at this point in <laughs> and, real life. <laughs> and Stan builds on this over the years and really keeps up this idea of the Marvel creative crew being like this chummy clubhouse of you know guys just coming up with this neat stuff in their 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 little fun house and that's one of the things that I think really sort of irked some of the guys who <laughs> were like um, this is not yes. how things are uh Steve Ditko really does not want to play along with that whole uh that whole thing and that will come up later but that's the story for another day. So right now um, yes. we see Jack and we see Jack and Dan hanging out, coming up with characters, <laughs> and then who should walk in Doctor but Dr. Doom, Doom. <laughs> Doctor <laughs> exactly. Doom, walks in the door, and
0: it just so happened, they had just talked about two of that Dr. Doom is lost in space, possibly the greatest villain of all. Says, yeah, we sure can't come up with a menace like him every day. And then it happened. Did somebody mention my name? No, it can't be. It isn't possible. But it is. It's Dr. Doom. He's alive. But how? How did you save yourself from being hurtled into endless space? It is a long story. We will not discuss it now. So, which is a great, at one point I wrote about on my blog about how this writer talking about when he learned to write, learned to, instead of always have people talk about how they got from place to place, just have people show up and go like, I'll tell you about it later. And it's like, oh, it was the most liberating thing I ever learned as a writer is to just have people show up and go and tell you about it later. So at this point, we as readers are like, are they really not going to tell us how Doctor Doom survived in outer space? Well, eventually they do, but they come up with a more dramatic place to actually tell us the story.
1: Uh, but but so by, the, by the way, I uh, I'm 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 very interested in your Doctor Doom voice there. That's, uh... <laughs> I, so I read I read all of these
0: comics to my son, and I the problem was I had already sort of given namor sort of a middle european type accent and then i realized i should have given it to dr doom when i got to dr doom (laughs) so i ended up giving dr doom sort of more of a boris and natasha type voice which i sort of regretted i should have given him namor's voice but anyway yes that was my dr doom voice you just got a little glimpse of it there so as you can tell this story has already gone completely insane (laughs) we we've had a lot of meta postmodern stuff already in this comic and now things are getting even crazier dr doom who last we saw hurtling into space on a meteor now shows up in the offices of leon kirby leon kirby have inserted themselves in the story they are not coding themselves in glory though because (laughs) they have dr doom tells leon kirby summon the fantastic four here to their doom and leon kirby go okay we will do that So then (laughs) he says, I demand you call the Fantastic Four and summon them here. Johnny, then Johnny answers the phone, says to Reed, phone call for you, Reed. It's Lee and Kirby. They'd like you to go to their studio and work out a plot with him. And Reed says, strange, we just finished discussing a new plot yesterday, which implies that, okay, so right away we've got this idea that the Fantastic Four... Know who Lee and Kirby are and have been working on the comic with them, which is fine. An idea they would return to many times over the years, but they're implying that, like, he's not telling, I told them about our most recent adventures. He says, I discussed a new plot, which implies that Lee and Kirby are publishing fake adventures of the Fantastic Four.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I would see it as, you know, they want to discuss, uh, you know, how they're approaching telling this particular story, but, but, so that, that's to refute what you're saying. However, to argue your side of things, I think a little bit better. Um, if you go back to the previous page, it says, too bad Dr. Doom is lost in space. And Jack says, yeah, we sure can't come up with a menace like him every day. So yeah. it's, you know, <laughs> simultaneously doing this whole thing of, Oh, this is they're just, we're chronicling their real life adventures and we're making this stuff up as we go, like all mixed and muddled in together. But somehow it seems to work. Yes. So,
0: so we are left with the possibility from now on that the, the Fantastic Four are real and they really do work with Lee and Kirby, but they are not telling us their genuine adventures and that Lee and Kirby are telling us at least slightly fictionalized adventures of the Fantastic Four. But. We definitely know that Lee and Kirby are not very heroic people because they are instantly (laughs) willing to summon the Fantastic Four into a trap to their deaths and just count on the Fantastic Four to be able to work their way out of it. Because they summon in Reed, who comes in by himself, and then they Doctor Doom knocks out Reed, teleports away to his castle. Still very unclear where his castle is, and then he tells, but he tells Lee and Kirby, "Then go ahead and summon the rest of the Fantastic Four to my castle." So. They know where his castle is. The Fantastic Four know where his castle is. The text never says where his castle is. We'll remain tremendously unclear in this issue. But obviously, Leon Kirby know, and Reed, so, and Johnny know, because everybody has been told to go there. Meanwhile, we then go back to Doom's castle with Reed and Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom then tells Reed about what happened to him. He was flying through space on an asteroid, seemingly to his death, but was found by some aliens, the Ovoids, who said, oh, hello. Mr. Strange-looking dude who's flying through space on an asteroid, let's bring you in and tell you all about our wonderful culture and technology, including their ability to transpose minds from one body into another body, which he instantly does to Reed Richards. He goes like, oh, they've taught me how to transfer minds. Let's transfer minds. Okay, I'm now Reed Richards. You're now Dr. Doom. Oh, good thing that we had your teammates show up. Your teammates are here. You, of course, will instantly tell them, but wait, I'm Reed Richards in Dr. Doom's body. And frankly if I had lived through the last nine issues, I would instantly believe that. But yeah. They,
1: well, well, they... and all, also with the, with, with the way that Reed looks at this point, I mean, that very first moment when the mind swap takes place, he looks just utterly malevolent. <laughs> you know, he, He's just looks, he's just a ghoulish look on his face. And it's just like, yeah, no, um, If I knew you and I know what you usually look like and this is suddenly what you look like, I'd say something's not right here. Yeah, well, as
0: as we've made clear, his idea of romance is to say, I assumed that I could one day tell you I had some romantic interest in you and that you would (laughs) save yourself for that day. And indeed, his uh, he has not been looking... You know, I think he may have some eye contact issues. I think he may be on the spectrum to a certain extent. This has been hinted at over the years. And apparently he makes so little eye contact with people that nobody notices when his eyebrows go totally evil. And people are just like, nope, not going to pay attention to your eyebrows going totally evil. So, um, So yes, so he... Nobody notices that he has totally evil eyebrows. And they... Nobody believes Dr. Doom when Dr. Doom is saying, but wait, I'm Reed Richards in Dr. Doom's body. And instead they grab him. Dr. Doom is like, oh, well, we're in, I'm sorry, well, I should say Reed Richards says, I'm totally Reed Richards. And we're totally in Dr. Doom's castle. And hey, I just happen to know that Dr. Doom has this gigantic glass cell in the basement in the dungeon of his castle. And let's go and go through this trapdoor down into the basement, down into the dungeon of the castle and lock Dr. Doom, quote unquote, in this gigantic glass cell and leave him here with some oxygen canisters so that he doesn't die of asphyxiation. And the rest of the Fantastic Four is okay with that. And Sue does say, brr, this place gives me the creeps. But then she leaves Reed and Dr. Doom down there. Oh yes, I give you enough oxygen to last for a while, but it's only actually for a couple of hours, not for a couple of days. Goodbye. And then they leave him there. We then
1: cut to seemingly in in, in the recent past he has already actively sucked the oxygen out of a room that he had them trapped in so now he's like oh i'll give you a little bit of oxygen to give you a little bit of time it's like you you've already tried to asphyxiate these people much more aggressively than you're doing right now but he's growing He's, (laughs) he's learning and growing
0: as a person then we got to some amount of time later obviously it's not that much later because he just said that Reed doesn't have that much oxygen, but there's been enough time for a news cycle to have passed because Dr. Doom and Reed's body has, they've all gone back to the Baxter Building. Dr. Doom and Reed's body has kidnapped all the animals from the zoo. A news cycle has passed. This has appeared in the newspaper with a daily bulletin article saying zoo animals missing. Dr. Doom has then experimented on these animals and they all escaped from his lab. Uh, and so suddenly there are all of these Animals coming out of Reed's lab, and they all go into "quote unquote"
1: Reed, and, and they and go. They're, mini- they're miniatures. Why the, uh, the did
0: all of these? Why? Why have all of the missing zoo animals turned up as tiny miniatures in escaping from your lab? And he goes like, "Oh, it's okay. It's okay that I got, stole all the animals from the zoo and shrunk them down. It's because." I have discovered that the reason why dinosaurs died is because they got too big and they got too big for their brains. And therefore, if we want to last for a long time, we should be too small for our brains. So (laughs) I've invented a shrinking ray and I will then shrink every member of the Fantastic Four until they become smarter and then they will have more control over their powers. And you will have greater flame powers, Johnny. Uh, Sue will have greater invisibility powers. Ben will be able to change back and forth between Ben Grimm and the thing and They all instantly fall for this. They're like, that sounds like the best idea in the world. I think he should do it to me first. I think he should do it to me first. I think he should do it to me first. None of them comes off very well in this issue. They all seem like total idiots. And self-centered. And (laughs) self-centered, yes. And not only people who are totally oblivious to the fact that this is clearly Dr. Doom in Reed Richard's body with his evil eyebrows, and that he is just trying to shrink them to death, which is in fact what he is trying to do. But they are also turning on each other instantly and going like, yes, I want to get this before you do. We cut back to Reed in Doom's body, who is stuck in the... Now, at this point, we clearly see this is Doom's castle, and yes. they still have not made clear that Doom's castle is in upstate New York, that Doom has a copy of his castle in upstate New York. Yeah, I'm and, trying to
1: remember when that actually is revealed, but I know it's coming up at some point. I kept clearly, on looking through this issue to be like, wait, did I miss it? Is it here?
0: It's clearly not far from New York City, because, I mean, here we have... Read in Doom's body, you know, he figures out cleverly. I always like it when there's some cleverness in this issue. He figures out cleverly how to use the oxygen canisters that were left behind and Doom's mask to uh, explode his way out of the glass case. He then, seemingly not much later, shows up at Alicia's apartment. Unfortunately, Sue is there invisible in Alicia's apartment. Alicia, to her credit, is like um something sounds decent about your voice i think this is a decent person who is speaking to me even though i can tell that's not reed richard's actual voice that's not the voice in reed richard's body sue totally oblivious knocks out dr doom it's always a pet people find in these comics when someone is wearing a metal helmet of some sort and then gets knocked out by something
1: being crashed over their head uh because well, it's like surely white and, what, why do, and do, once again it's another vase it's right. another like, vase. This, this yes. is not the first time that Sue has picked up a vase to knock somebody over the head with. This is at least her second time doing this.
0: Yes. You would, think, you would think Alicia would have lots of statues that could have been used to bump them over the heads. You would not have needed to use an actual vase. But So Sue grabs a vase, knocks Doctor Doom out, but then instantly, to be fair, then... Both Johnny and Ben show up and they're like, we should just kill him. And then they're like, I don't know. Something seems a little wrong about this situation. They're like, let's just bring him back to our place and tie him up. And they just bring him back and tie him up. They're starting to maybe finally notice a little bit about how evil Reed looks. And (laughs) then, but then they're like, no, let's leave Dr. Doom tied up out there in the lobby. And then we'll go in and keep trying to get Reed to do the shrink ray on us, which will shrink us down and make us brilliant. And then they haven't tied up Reed very well. Reed and Dr. Doom's body wakes up, runs in, says, Don't do that, don't let him train that ray on you. Believe what you want to believe about me, but don't trust him, he'll destroy you. <laughs> At which point Doom and Reed's body says, Stay back, you meddling fool. Back I say, and trips him with his stretchy leg. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Finally, you know, it, it,
1: and that doesn't sound that different from
0: Reed. I mean, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, yeah, right. Reed, Reed always sounds like a jerk. But stay back,
1: you meddling fool! I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. it's close enough. But yeah, it's uh, well. And then, and then Johnny pulls some kind of weird thing with some sort of heat mirage to create the illusion that there's a stick of dynamite that's about to go off. And just like in the Captain America movie. Uh, yes you know with the uh Uh, Doom dives on it to try to protect the others while uh, or Doom, the Doom's body dives on it to try to protect the others. Reed and and Doom's
0: body tries to dive on it to protect the others while while Doom and Reed's body tries to suck himself away to protect only himself. And finally they get the hang of what's going on. They finally realize like, oh, actually, when Dr. Doom was telling us I'm Reed Richards in Doom's body, that was actually totally believable given the lives that we live. And we should have believed <laughs> him in the first place, they then fight, and whoops, tomb then loses concentration, and that's enough to lose the mind switching and so suddenly he they go back into their own bodies. And then Doom actually falls once he's back in his own body, falls in the way of his own shrinking ray, and then it turns out this is what he really wanted to do to everybody. He shrinks down into nothingness and is seemingly killed once and for all by shrinking down to nothingness, which is what he actually wanted to do to the others. And Doctor Doom is the, never heard from and, again. Yes, that's, <laughs> the, that's the end of Doctor Doom. We're never going to hear from Doctor Doom again.
1: So is this the first time that we had Stan and Jack show up as characters? themselves yes i think it is right okay yeah yes this will not be the last time one of the more memorable times is when uh reed and sue get married in about three years and they get turned away at the door yes Um, they get turned away from the wedding (laughs) uh all right so So, uh, an absolutely insane issue oh utterly. I mean, but this is this this is just everything that you got to love about silver age marvel comics. I mean, it's you know, once again sort of the mix of the utterly ridiculous with the like ridiculously mundane all in one. Right. It's it's yes. uh, you know, it's just like, oh, here's Stan and Jack just working in the Marvel offices. And it's like simultaneously that is incredibly pedestrian and just utterly nuts. <laughs> and they just go with it,
0: you know. <laughs> they don't it <laughs> they just they're just like, so you know, as with everything in these issues, it's like, I hope you're I hope you're on board here, guys, because off we go. Right. So an absolutely crazy fantastic four uh issue. We're already running late. Let's keep going. Let's get to Incredible Hulk number five. So we're going to have this thing that's going to start to happen, which is that Kirby is going to be leaving these books. This is Kirby's last issue of Hulk. Next month, we're going to get to Kirby's last issues of Human Torch and Ant-Man, and we are going to have Kirby leaving all these books. So here we have Kirby's last issue of Hulk, and it is a doozy. It says on the cover, more powerful, more dangerous, more uncontrollable than ever before. Here comes the Hulk. We have the Hulk. Escaping from a cell, a blonde Roman god type figure is saying, "Slay the monster in the name of Tyrannus the Mighty." And it says, two great
1: Hulk thrillers featuring Beauty and the Beast." So yes, we're we're going to be introduced to what Tyrannus, Tyrannus? What do you? I, I guess I'm gonna call him Tyrannus. Um, Tyrannus. Let's go for Tyrannus. Yes, we will be introduced to Tyrannus in this issue, who does show up again later. uh Oh yeah, you know, not many oh, years yeah. later. No, no. We we got plenty more Tyrannus over the
0: years. I mean, it's weird because, you know, it's sort of like in these early days, you could have Fantastic Four comics in which there was one god of the uh, of the cave world who had his own little yellow servants called Mole Man. And then you could have whole comics where there was another god of the underground world who had his own little yellow servants called Tyrannus. And that wasn't seen as contradictory, I think. It's like, right. oh, well, these are different comics. But then very quickly, they had to go like, well, wait a second. If this is all one the universe, then is it Mole Man or Tyrannus who rules the underground world? And they had to make it clear, of course, you know that's not a flaw, that's a feature then right. we can have them fight a lot. So very soon Mole Man and Turnus started fighting like crazy over yep. control of these little yellow guys and this world. Okay. Indeed. So once again, as with last year of Hulk, we've got two different Hulk stories crammed into uh-huh. this one issue, either one of which
1: would be a twelve issue storyline today. <laughs> yeah. Uh I don't know what twelve issues, but uh but yeah, certainly. <laughs> a lot of stuff happens.
0: A tremendous yeah. amount of stuff happens in these issues. I should say the inking on this Hulk story uh, is really beautiful by Dick Ayers. Dick Ayers, I love his inking on the little yellow guys here on page one.
1: Yeah, it's uh, Dick Ayers, I think, inks all of the books this month once again. Yes. And uh, I find him a little bit uneven this month. Uh, there are some times when I look at his stuff and it looks like that sort of... He's doing it with a mop and the paper seems to be bleeding... But then uh, there are other times when it looks quite nice, and yeah, this first page of this issue, I actually uh, particularly like the sort of delicacy with which he approached the Hulk's face. Um, yes, on this one, it's, uh, it still keeps a lot of the you know the beastly nature of it, but uh, you know has a has a deft touch, uh, which I really like. Yeah,
0: I thought it, right. I think it's really well. So then, all right, so then let's just quickly sum up this issue. Uh, we have general. Thunderbolt Ross, well so the first time we find out what General Thunderbolt Ross's job is, they describe him, they misspell the word hemisphere, and they describe him as they describe him as being in charge of the Western Hemisphere Defense Command. So now we know what branch of service he is. He is in the Western Hemisphere Defense Command. First we have Thunderbolt Ross watching films of the Hulk. Then we find out that Tyrannus, not the whole Man, rules the underground world, served by Little Yellow Men, banished to the center of the earth by Merlin, has the Phantom uh-huh. of So, right, we're getting this thing where there's like, let's toss in, you know, we've got the public domain at our disposal. Uh, <laughs> and so Merlin, he's in the public domain. Okay, Tyrannus was, was banished by Merlin to the center of the earth. Oh, and Tyrannus also has the Fountain of Youth. That's in the public domain. Turns out that's underneath <laughs> the earth. So he's got that.
1: And says, so And specifically ha- calls out Ponce de Leon. Uh, yes, Ponce term- de Leon. He's in the right. public domain. <laughs> <laughs> and so then
0: Tyrannus decides he wants to conquer the surface world. Bruce and Rick are going to General Thunderbolt Rose's house. They run into Betty there. Betty then says, sorry, Bruce, that isn't in yet, but may I introduce Mr. Tyrannus? He is an <laughs> archaeologist. So Tyrannus has decided to go undercover with a secret a secret identity in this in this surface world. That secret identity is Mr. Tyrannus. So he has taken his name and he has added a mister in front of it.
1: So um and uh, wait, if if Merlin banished him to the underground world, how is it he's just up here? I think I don't think he banished him <laughs> magically. I think he just told him, "You have to go live underground
0: now," which he uh, did for fear of Merlin, and didn't realize Merlin's been out of the picture for a good fifteen hundred <laughs> years now. Yeah. But now, clearly, he's starting to realize he can go back to the surface because he has he is now courting Betty as Mister Tyrannus, uh, a local archaeologist, and Betty, of course, wants to make Bruce jealous. So <laughs> he says so. Rick says to Bruce, like, what's the matter, Bruce? What's bugging you? And Bruce says, just a feeling, kid. I don't like his looks. And Betty is mooning over Mr. Tyrannis, and she says, it's working. Bruce looks jealous. I'm so glad I met Mr. Tyrannis. Maybe this will make Bruce think of me as a woman. So (laughs) Bruce and Rick realize they'd better follow Betty and Tyrannis. Sure enough, Tyrannis takes Betty into a secret cave, and... Betty quickly realizes, wait, I'm not showing you around this cave. You clearly know your way around this cave. You're clearly not Mr. Tyrannus. You're Tyrannus, the ruler of the underworld. And <laughs> so then she gets kidnapped by um, the Hulk, and Rick are right on their tail. They follow afterwards. They go down to the center of the earth. And Tyrannus knocks out Hulk with gas, which uh-huh. is always one of Hulk's great weaknesses, then instantly, so right, we're on page seven of this story, one of two stories in this book, and we've already gotten to, as we've talked about before in this book, they cover everything that will ever happen to the Hulk happens in these <laughs> six issues. And sure enough, we get Hulk being forced to be a gladiator. Yes. So we get Hulk in full gladiator costume being forced I, to be a I gladiator. That,
1: I had forgotten about this, that we get gladiator Hulk right here in issue number five. That, that had completely slipped my mind until we came back to reread this. That, but this is why we have Reread Club.
0: This is why we have Riri club. So eventually, they would get a massive mm. Planet Hulk storyline out of Hulk being gladiator on a foreign world. Here we have gladiator, Hulk being gladiator underneath, fighting a giant robot of Tyrannus and his little yellow creatures. It looks like a
1: Rockam Sockam robot.
0: Looks like a Rockam Sockam robot, and then the Hulk then you know manages mm. to tear the whole. Place down, tries to attack Tyrannus. Tyrannus says, But I'll kill Betty. And he's like, going, Okay, if you promise not to kill Betty, I'll do whatever you say. Then we have an amazing montage on page nine of Hulk doing all of these slave tasks, seemingly over the course of like a year for yeah. Tyrannus <laughs> of building this huge temple and turning the flow of this underground river and posting, putting up all this fence. And seemingly much time has gone by. But then Rick dresses himself up as a soldier. From frees Betty tells Hulk that Betty is free. Hulk is finally free to let himself go nuts. He then pushes two pillars apart like Hercu- Like I guess what? Oh, that's Samson. like Samson. Samson. He pushes two pillars apart like Samson. Brings Tyrus's kingdom down around his head. Escapes with Rick and Betty. Unfortunately, Betty gets amnesia, so she won't remember how heroic Hulk has been. And then they get back to the surface world. It is an absolutely crazy story to cram into eleven pages.
1: Now one thing that I found myself wondering, and I don't I I should I should remember this better, what was the state of the Hulk's brain when we finished the previous issue? Did he have Banner's brain? I thought I remember he did.
0: I guess he sort of did.
1: But you
0: know, but they always make it clear in these issues. Whenever the Hulk has Banner's brain, they always make it clear that that the Hulk's personality asserts itself, yeah, and so it's never really like it was in the Mantlow issues where the Hulk
1: is acting like Banner. And the Hulk is just talking like a nerd, you know. But, but it's... by the way, when Matt said Mantlow issues, we we're talking about Bill Mantlo, the writer of Hulk when we were kids, yeah, um, and is probably most well known to uh, the population at large as the co-creator of Rocket Raccoon. Uh, but yes. he's done me- much 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 more than that over the years one okay, so, of my so... favorite
0: writers this kid and uh and in in fact one of my favorite writers right now even though he has met a tragic fate but we will get to that later um so yes so a great story an insane story not <laughs> not the only insane story in this issue we're about to get to insane story number two i will quick more quickly sum up insane story number two we have in the second story this is one of the rare cases where they actually hear on the radio, we cut to Tibet. First of all, we've got the Hulk again jumping around and it looks like he's flying in the pictures that they say he's leaping in the text. Thunderbolt Ross hits him with the freezing bomb, that, the freezing missile he threatened to hit him with a couple issues ago. The Hulk shrugs it off quickly, <laughs> shrugs it off quickly, proving that indeed it was a mistake. But then yeah. we cut to Tibet, the first view of a Tibet-like nation. We've gotten in Marvel Comics, we're soon to get lots of those, where a the communists are invading Tibet, something that actually was going on in real life. And the High Lama of Tibet is saying, we must put up the call to the world for someone to save us from this communist army, General Fang's communist army, which is invading Tibet. And they explicitly say Tibet. say Tibet. Okay. I'm sorry. I was sorry they for say, talking They say that. the... Pr- they say the Principality of Lhasa, L-L-A-S-A,
1: yes. L-L-H-A-S-A, L-L-H-A-S-A. You're right, uh, Lhasa. Yes.
0: So, yes. Uh, so, but it's clearly supposed to be Tibet, they're wearing Tibetan hats, and so then Snowy they put out the call, that. they put out the call for someone to save them, and then Rick and Bruce are in their lab, and they go like, yes, let's do that, let's go free Tibet. They've been listening to one <laughs> Beastie Boys album too many, and they go, let's go free Tibet. So then this we get this absolutely crazy thing where the where bruce says i'm i need to come up with a plan to free to fed first i'll become the hulk and then i'll come up with a plan
1: which is like right. oh <laughs> okay and that, sure and, and enough that's one of the reasons why i was asking like wait what was the state of the Hulk's brain in the last issue because yeah and then and then hulk goes and pulls a book off the shelf and yes, starts hulk. using. Hulk comes up with a clever plan, says, first, I need to read a book. The Hulk goes to his library,
0: which is in his lab, and pulls a book off the shelf and says, here it is. This book will help me demolish that creep and his whole crummy rat pack. Now call the airport and reserve a couple of seats. So then they're like, "Okay, let's travel in a plane with the Hulk just wearing a scarf. (laughs) <laughs> to cover the fact he's a hog doesn't work. The, the flight attendant realizes who he is. They then fly out of the plane. And again, in a panel that is clearly drawn as if they are flying. Yes, They are changing direction in the air. But then in the very next panel, they are clearly leaping and they are yes. not flying their way across the Atlantic. They're leaping their, uh, sorry, the Pacific, I guess, leaping their yes. way across the Pacific. And then they go to Tibet and It turns out that the Hulk's plan, they fight the army a little bit in bed, and then the Hulk's plan is that he has, it's unclear if he has brought this, presumably he somehow brought this with him, although it's not exactly clear if he had a suitcase with him, he has brought a gigantic abominable snowman outfit. They never say Yeti, they say abominable snowman. He has brought a big white furry outfit with him, uh, or found one there and he is going to impersonate the abominable snowman impersonate the yeti knowing how much these chinese invaders must be afraid of the abominable snowman and rick has his own little little brown abominable snowman like outfit um it's unclear in the text whether they're just wearing these to keep warm or whether they're actually wearing these for psychological purposes they, I, I, they say I think, it either I think, way
1: i think that ricks is just a is just a, a you know winter overall kind of thing uh it's you know like a snowsuit uh that, that's the impression i got i didn't think he was supposed to be like the you know the yeti's kid sidekick but who knows <laughs> it's very unclear and
0: then sure enough it works the Hogs plan of wearing this white furry up it works the the red in the or i should say chai com i guess they never actually say chai com in these things that's these chinese communists they go the abominable snowman flee but General Fang is like, it's okay. We've got a dragon illusion projector we can use against the Abominable Snowman. The Hulk then takes off the Abominable Snowman outfit. They go like, see, it wasn't the Abominable Snowman. It's just a giant green monster. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why you were so
1: afraid. (laughs) Yeah, it it wasn't a Yeti. It was just the Hulk. I mean, (laughs) you know, come on. They uh, they then put him in
0: an electric cage. They've made it clear that electricity is somehow makes it hard to break out of things. There's a gorgeous panel on page 10 where the Red Army uh, attacks on horses. Uh-huh. Kirby, is, Kirby can draw anything, including a army attacking on horseback, which is infamously one of the hardest things to draw. He draws the hell out of it. The Hulk, now no longer pretending to be the Vulnerable Man, fights the Red Army. Rick is still wearing his furry outfit, and then they go back and forth, and then it's crazy. Then finally, they defeat all of the army except for General Fang, who are then is overtaken by invading American soldiers. Now, as far as I know, the American army did not, in fact, show up in <laughs> Tibet to liberate Tibet at any time in 1963,
1: but that is what happens in this issue. Um, is Wait, so those were American soldiers who showed up? Who is that? Don't those look like American soldiers on yeah, the last they, page? Yeah, they do, but I guess I was just figuring that these were... Well, I guess I... Because was he actually working for the Chinese government? General Fang? I don't know. I think I, so. I, I, I thought he was some rogue and that oh. this was the Chinese army coming in. But I, I once again, very unclear. I I. I... I am now that you say that those are Americans, I'm like i I don't know, maybe they are. I'm not sure on the shoulders of those soldiers, like you know where you've got the sergeant stripes and stuff like that, there's a little uh thing that looks like a flower patch, yeah, um, so i I don't know it's unclear one way or the other, this guy's gonna get get his just desserts, no. yeah
0: know. <laughs> Because yes. America is liberating Tibet in, two, in 1963. Okay. They decide that General Fang will get us just desserts, and Bruce and Rick come home, and then they
1: decide that their job is done. Right. Well, yeah. and, and, and they come home thousands of miles away and days later. they I guess they just leap the way home yep. over days? <laughs> okay. Sure. Okay. So,
0: <laughs> two absolutely crazy stories. Kirby says his goodbye to Hulk for the time being. Mm-hmm. and could not go out on a higher note, I think. This is a great <laughs> issue. This is two full-on Kirby craziness issues, two full-on Kirby craziness stories in one issue, and I think it is, we've got we've got both Tyrannus from the underworld and we've got the Hulk as the abominable snowman in one issue. I'm loving it.
1: You know, I, I'm pretty sure we agreed to call him Tyrannus at the beginning, and then you've just called him Tyrannus through the entire thing, so... Uh, you know, I know not to trust you from now on. <laughs> <laughs> so noted. Uh, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, so meanwhile, what are we moving on to next? Uh, Journey into Mystery, Strange Tales, or Tales to Astonish?
0: Uh, let's go and do Journey into Mystery 88 featuring Thor. All right. Let's
1: do I it. Say it. I say
0: in my notes, oh, thank God Loki is back.
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely it's better than uh another one of him battling communist or gangsters or whatever which just never makes any sense
0: never makes any sense and we're gonna have a lot of those issues coming up so on the cover of the issue we have journey in the mystery 88 does not say featuring thor but uh it says we've got on the cover we've got thor battling loki on the rainbow bridge odin is saying heed my words thor though both of you are my sons you must defeat the evil loki for the sake of mankind." Loki is saying, nothing can save you, Thunder God, for now I know the secret of your hammer. And Thor is saying, I shall not fail, noble Odin. No matter what the cause, Loki shall not menace the earth. And said, and- see if- see thor the mightiest hero of all as he
1: dares to face the terrible vengeance of loki you have summarized the last couple should i take a crack at this one here take a crack at this one all right so uh this is the mighty thor starring in the vengeance of loki so after a and once again stanley and larry lieber on this one so after a splash page we get to a recap of what happened last time that uh thor fought loki he was redeposited In Asgard, he is grounded by his dad, but he finds a way to sneak out. Uh, But then, oh, that's right. No, before he finds a way to sneak out. So he's grounded by his dad again. So then he goes to his room. And does some drugs, I guess. It looks like he's, yeah. you know, uh, it, it looks like he's smoking up some, uh, some, some marijuana in there. But he's using some kind of, uh, you know, herbs to view other things. And he's, he's able to see Thor during his Adventure of the Past issue and see when he turns back into Don Blake. And so now Loki says, ah, I know the secret. And so he sneaks out of his dad's house, takes the car, and makes it down to Earth. So yes. uh, by takes we- the car, I mean does the Rainbow Bridge. Which is to say
0: he becomes a snake and slithers out from between Heimdall's feet and goes down the Rainbow Bridge.
1: Yes, yes. So uh, then he makes it into uh, Dr. Blake's office and hypnotizes Jane... And then he makes it into Blake's uh, laboratory in the back, and he has a really kind of decked out laboratory for just a single family practice doctor. Who's yeah, you know, he, at times he seems practice. more
0: like a research
1: a research doctor than a uh, practicing yeah. physician. It's not quite clear. Yeah, exactly. So then um, Loki reveals that this bearded man is actually Loki. So uh, you would think
0: Loki sometimes has transformation powers sometimes doesn't right. have transformation powers you wouldn't think he would actually have to put on a little rubber mask but Logia has put on a little rubber
1: mask to appear to be an old man and then he takes off the rubber mask you, you you would think he could just create an illusion of some sort, yes. but uh yes, no. In this case, he actually has a rubber mask on his face. He challenges Thor, and Thor turns back into Donald Blake and sneaks out and leaves, I should say. And Jane, meanwhile, is making it clear in her own thoughts that she has been given uh, post hypnotic commands of some sort by Loki that she will be following. So Thor heads out into the city to meet uh, Loki for battle. Is you know bragging about the power of his hammer. Then Jane shows up right as Thor throws his hammer and Loki creates a tiger out of nowhere to attack Jane and says, you can he, make one of two choices. Huh? Yes? He, he transforms a tree into a tiger. Well, yeah, but, I mean, that's creating a tiger out of it, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> yes. So, um, then he has to choose between protecting Jane from the tiger or catching his hammer. Which will it be? Which seems like a really... Like, I can just grab the hammer and then hit the tiger with the hammer. That doesn't seem to be a big deal. But, you know, what do you to do? So um, he lets the hammer fall to the ground. He then gets into a punching match with the tiger, it looks like. And then he's waited too long. He turns back into Don Blake. And then Loki traps the hammer inside a magical force field. And he can no longer get the hammer. At which point, Loki turns himself into a pigeon and flies away. So. Yes. Uh, Don Blake then he needs to figure out what he's doing next and tries to get Jane home. Meanwhile, uh, on page eight, I love the panel of Loki flying. He's flying upside down, which I, I'm guessing just to be mischievous.
0: <laughs> he's the god of mischief.
1: That's, exactly, that's my point. Uh, and then so he turns people into blanks, which isn't nearly as uh, visually um, stunning as it was when he turned people into negatives a couple of issues ago. But less work for Kirby. Less work for Kirby, absolutely. Um, and you know, I mean, as as great a, as great an artist and as indefatigable is that it indefatigable. Yeah, I'll um, give you that. Yes, okay, indefatigable as he could be. You know, like any comics artist, if you can figure out a way to be like, oh, I can tell the story just fine. Make a little less work for myself. You know, you're usually going to do it. He then goes to another city, turns everything into candy and ice cream. He uh, then we see Loki is going up to the Arctic Circle and then sees a communist plane dropping a test nuclear bomb in the Arctic sea. And uh, Loki then um, does something to the bomb so that it doesn't go off. Um, what does he do to it here? I'm sorry. He, I... As the bomb hurtles down, Loki exercises
0: his magical power upon it. Right, but and he then he take, it goes... he take the bomb? He no, he just turns it into a dead. Okay, and then so... it lands in the ocean with a plink and
1: someone a communist on the ship says it it was a dud we failed how can we face nikita now Right, but that just seems like such a weird little, like, that doesn't pay off anywhere with anything. It's just weird. Anyway, I'm sure he probably so, turned it into ice cream or something. <laughs> so then we have this montage of everyone saying, where is Thor to protect this from this guy? Well, of course, he can't turn into Thor. And then he comes up with a trick after, you know, Loki is putting wings on soldiers' weapons to make them fly away from them. And uh, meanwhile, Don Blake somehow gets something in the newspaper saying that Thor vows to defeat Loki before end of week and loki's like wait what thor no he can't be back i i did this thing to make sure he would never be there let me go and check my spell that's hiding the the hammer and so he shows up and there's thor and he's talking to him he's like that's impossible you know let me remove the force field so i can see that the hammer is in there and then it turns out this is just a plastic figurine of thor a life-size uh, mannequin of Thor, which apparently was enough to fool the god of mischief. Um, but, you know, what are going to do? So then uh, he gets <laughs> you, the back. You, you're not Thor. Thor.
0: It's only a plastic dummy. Right. I was hiding behind it, waiting for you to remove the force field. So I generally like it when these mm-hmm. issues have clever resolutions. I would not call mm-hmm. this a clever resolution. <laughs> Thor creating a plastic dummy of himself and then seemingly doing ventriloquism to his own plastic dummy of himself. But, How? oh well.
1: How what what do you th- how clever do you find it that then Thor tries to figure out which pigeon is actually Loki by throwing peanuts at the pigeons and seeing which one doesn't go running after the peanuts? <laughs> not I would call that <laughs> not clever. Uh, oh no, I do have to say also on page twelve, uh, panel three says so the first panel on the middle row of panels that does not look like a Kirby superhero panel. No, it that, that looks like it looks like maybe Kirby in the later satirical comic they called Not Brand Ech, or that looks like you know Jack Davis or something like that, but that does not look like uh Kirby. I, I just noticed that it was just uh, interesting. Yeah. So then, um, Thor goes and grabs a tennis net from a tennis court where people are actively playing tennis. Loki is about to turn himself into a rocket and get away, but then before he can thor nets him in his pigeon form with the net and i guess that somehow keeps him from turning into a rocket i'm not entirely sure (laughs) and then he then uh takes him back to asgard once again and drops him off we again see the back of odin's head but this time he actually takes him in person he doesn't just send him there attached to his hammer Yes, and we see the back of Odin's head once again, and this is this is probably his least fabulous hat we're ever going to see Odin wear. Um, yes,
0: that is a tremendously unfabulous helmet,
1: Odin. <laughs> come on, man, that's we, nothing. Your your fans have come to expect fabulosity, and this is just not doing it. So uh, anyway, yeah, there we go. So so yes, we fought loki once again which is great because we're not fighting any sorts of villains which seem unbecoming of the majesty of thor on the other hand we do have loki being fooled by dr don blake just throwing his voice from behind a mannequin and and all sorts of other you know little weird things and yeah it's the first time i read i reread through that bit with the atomic bomb i was like oh okay well clearly that's going to be used in his plot coming up in a minute and it didn't occur to me later when it wasn't. I'm just like that's just such a weird. Anyway, okay, but uh, yeah. So this is good. Um, yeah. We're no, glad it's to great see to have Loki again.
0: It's great to have Loki back. It's fun to. It's fun to have uh, Loki is grateful and it's fun to have them interacting. I wish the story had been a little clever. Of course, you know we're talking about the difference between Stan and Larry. So you know this is this <laughs> yeah. is a Stan and Larry comic and say Stan and Jack and Larry comics are not as clever yes. as Stan and Jack comics.
1: Yes true so um shall we move on to strange tales
0: yes let's move on to strange now, tales
1: let me let me say that as much as the as this character will go on to become a major punchline for pretty much the rest of marvel history i gotta say when i actually went back and first read his first appearance here i love it i mean you know it's <laughs> pretty great he's, <laughs> and i i think that every time they've attempted to to make him less ridiculous it's kind of made him more ridiculous you know uh one one thing that i learned uh back when i was uh waiting tables for the first couple of years after college uh that you know like most restaurants this place had the ridiculous little corporate birthday song that you had to sing to people on their birthday and you know when you first get there it's like oh my god this is so humiliating no just okay so then you're going to like happy happy birthday i forget what the song was but you know you just be doing your your thing and you just sort of be shrugging it off, rolling your eyes. And then after a while, you realize that just makes it more humiliating. You yes. know what makes it less humiliating is throwing yourself into it with gusto. And um, uh, this is Paste Pot Pete this is him throwing himself into it with gusto and it works. And then he becomes embarrassed of himself later and just ends up making himself look even more ridiculous. So I, was- I,
0: as I say here in my notes, like Pete's name is ridiculous. And you know, for many years afterwards, they talk about how ridiculous like, Oh, you used to be named Pacepot Pete because the villain will eventually come back with a different name. But it's like, yes, as ridiculous as that name is like his gun the whole idea of this paste gun that can shoot Elmer's glue to do all sorts of amazing things is even more ridiculous than the name. And and even more ridiculous than the gun, is his outfit, which is oh. Oh, just it's, delightful. It I is just magnifique. love Xboxy's <laughs> outfit. Chef's
1: Kiss Magnifique. <laughs> it, is, it is so wonderful. It's so I will... unique. I will go ahead
0: and include I don't usually include interior pages. I, I must include the first interior page showing oh, yes. that
1: hat, that yes. bow tie. Oh dear grin, god, the bow
0: tie, those
1: the grin, pants, the, <laughs> the, the the eyebrows, the beret. Oh my yeah, no, it's it's just uh it's I love it. I absolutely love this. Here. So
0: we've talked before about how the only significant contribution strange tales featuring human torch made to comics history was the wizard where his ultra nemesis from these issues is the wizard who would eventually go on to become a major nemesis of the fantastic four would sort of graduate up from this book to that book well the wizard would bring with him the trapster who as will frequently get made fun of in the fantastic four book is like oh, you didn't used to be called the trapster, did you? You used to be called Paste Pot Pete. And it's one of these things where people are like, oh, that was back before comics realized how ridiculous they were when they had characters saying Paste Pot Pete. Like, no, this character, this book knows how ridiculous Paste Pot Pete is. <laughs> it is intentionally creating an intentionally ridiculous villain. And yet it is and it isn't because like, they know how crazy it is and yet it's even crazier than they know. <laughs> like, the stuff he can do with this paste gun is yes. absolutely crazy
1: yeah so, no it's it, it's so much more than just oh i'm gonna squirt glue no it's it's it ends up being like spider-man's webs uh, in in the kinds of stuff it can do it's really nuts
0: so of course we begin with johnny at the bank uh and johnny has to be careful with this i have to be more careful i absolutely mightily almost wrote human torch on the deposit slip so <laughs> then he thinks it would only take one such accident for my secret identity to be discovered. Then Johnny Storm would be a celebrity. I'd have no privacy. I'd be unable to do undercover work. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right. buddy. As much as these, and again, I think we're almost to the end of the issues in which he has the secret identity. As much as these issues take secret identity under, uh, to an extreme, he they never have him actually do undercover work, which would be taking it to an even more of an extreme. But yes. he wants to. he wants to keep
1: that door open. He wants to keep the door of Undercover work open. Yes, yes. So then uh, Pace Pot Pete comes into the bank, and uh, someone's first reaction is, wonder what he's advertising. So I believe you have brought up in the past here that advertising stunts in the Marvel Universe must be really out of control. That just that <laughs> yes. any time you see a new supervillain show up, people's first thought is, hmm, I wonder what the advertising stunt is here.
0: Yes, every time the sky turns purple, people are like, oh, it's a publicity stunt, going like, oh my god, the ad men in your world are amazing. They can do all (laughs) sorts of amazing things. uh, So anyway, yeah, so then FaceBob Pete shows up. We're just going to have to post a picture of what he looks like. It can't be described. He is... (laughs) A glue-themed villain, he has a gigantic pot of glue, a gigantic paste pot with him uh, hooked up to a glue gun. He starts gluing people to the wall. He glues the security guard's gun to his outfit. Johnny then, all right, things get so crazy right away. Johnny is like, well, I can't chase after him yet, so I'll send a flaming, I'll send a flame figure to chase after him, while I then extricate myself from the bank and then he finally gets out of the bank and he's like, oh, it's a good thing I sent that flaming figure to follow Pace by Pete. Now I've got to figure out where that flaming figure went following Pace Pot Pete. So the flaming figures seemingly have eyes and independent thought. And I guess they're passing some sort of Turing test here because <laughs> he doesn't know where his flaming figure has gone in following Pace by Pete. So there is some sort of independent consciousness being displayed by his flaming figures. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He, he he's like some sort of tracking drone. Like, you know, uh, it's just like, Hey, this is the guy just stick with him. It's got, okay, I'll keep with this thing. Uh, meanwhile, I, once again, just the visuals in this issue, I absolutely love on page four, uh, third panel. So the first panel in the second row, paste pop Pete on the motorcycle. It's, uh, Oh, <laughs> that is just, it is awesome. It really, really is. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So then Pace 5
0: is going across town. He, of course, apparently all anybody did in 1963 was test missiles. And we, this is certainly not the first time this week we've run across somebody testing a missile. The Americans are testing a missiles. He's like, oh, I'll attach it, my glue gun to it. I'll shoot it. I'll shoot my glue gun at this missile test. And um, he ends up gluing Johnny to the missile. And Johnny is flying away, glued to the missile. He doesn't dare flame on for fear of blowing up the missile, but then he turns on just one flaming figure and frees himself from the missile. He catches up the Pacepot Pete. Pacepot Pete is almost being defeated when Pacepot Pete shoots. Again, it's sort of like Spider-Man's webbing. You're right, he shoots a a bit of glue at a plane that then takes off and he yanks himself up and attached to the plane, attached to the plane with a string of glue flies off. And then flies out over the ocean where he has a boat waiting for him, thankfully, and makes it clear this is not why he had a boat waiting for him. He had no idea he was going to arrive in this way. But it's a good thing he did have a boat waiting there for him because then he falls off. And obviously... Stan and Jack know they've got a keeper here because Stan and Jack are like, nope, we're not going to arrest Paid pot Pete. We're not going to kill off Pay Pete. We're going to have him remain free and easy at the end of this issue because he is going to clearly become the main villain from this point on. And we want <laughs> him to be not be arrested at the end of this issue. And they're like, well, Torch, you stopped the paste Pot thief. I bet he won't dare show up again. And Johnny instantly is like, won't he? I wonder, and then Johnny draws a gigantic flaming question mark in the air to show that he is wondering about this
1: yeah which which reminds me of the end of the Flash Gordon movie in the late seventies uh, where you know it ends with the end question mark, <laughs> yeah, exactly, so um yeah, this uh, like i said i i I adore the original uh, the first appearance of Pace Pot pete uh, and I didn't think I would, like you know, I came in here and I was just like oh what ridiculousness is this and then i immediately fell in love <laughs> because they lean into it exactly that's my point it's like you know if we're going to make it weird we are going to make it weird yes <laughs> which uh which yeah i mean that that that's that's what i pay the money for that's 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 why i come to this show he, so, uh... This is a glue-themed villain. They go, ho-hog.
0: He is dressed the way you would expect a glue-themed villain to dress. <laughs> he is, he in fact has, like, it's not just paint He He's actually got a huge pot of paste that he is carrying
1: around in one hand all the time, hooked up to his gun. Right, like a paint bucket. And, and, a and, paint bucket. And, and, and that has paste kind of dripping out the outside of it, too. It's it's like, you know, not even neatly contained. <laughs> um which you know and of course i'm saying all this this is exactly the kind of taunting that turned him into the trapster <laughs> later which you know uh, uh i'm just i'm just contributing towards that um towards that that ignominious end for him and they he was never fooling anybody everybody took one look at him to this day i would guess in comics and they go "You're a pace pod pete <laughs> yes. all right so shall we move on to the last comic of the our month?
0: final comic this is going to be a long episode our final comic we're talking about, Tales to Astonish number 39, starring the astonishing Ant-Man. A gigantic beetle has an army of insects attacking Ant-Man. At last you've
1: met your match, Ant-Man. Even you can't stop the hordes of the scarlet beetle. Now, one thing, you know, we talk about how much fun the different perspectives in this book must be to do, but I imagine they're also kind of challenging and a little exhausting. And this cover does not really... It... it, it Kinda of doesn't really work very well. So, uh, in my humble opinion, oh you know, no, it we, does not. So we are looking straight down at a water fountain, and Ant Man is tangling with some bugs on the top of the water fountain. I guess he's got some ants playing sentry around him, and then he's battling some kind of other bug. But then, as we look down, we see the the rank and file of all the insects coming your way. But then, looking back in the background. There's no way you would see a skyline back there I and mean, be looking over trees if you're getting this perspective on the water fountain. So yeah, we're you know,
0: we're currently sort of getting a, a panoramic photograph sort of thing going on here where when we look down we're looking down and when we look up we're looking up and it's a sort of shot like a panoramic
1: photograph where Yeah, it it feels the almost, perspective shifts over the course of the drawing. It feels almost like a Picasso. perspective here but um you know and once again though as you say you know jack kirby is doing a ton of work here and they're going to keep on working him hard and i think every now and then some of the second and third tier books uh end up showing that that's going on
0: and this will turn out to be his penultimate issue of ant-man as we will see uh next month we'll to his final one Okay, but so then we have we have something that, again, something we will eventually see in the MCU right away, flashing forward here on the first page. We've got Ant-Man interacting with toys, which yes. is would be a big part of the Ant-Man movie they would eventually do because it's fun to see a little person interact with toys, which are shrunk down versions of full-size things. So then we get to our story. Once again, we have the Ant-Man shooting himself across town and landing on a pile of ants, and <laughs> He, it turns turn, investigating because there's been reports of insects going crazy when being egged on by a crazy irradiated beetle. He tries to go deal with it. The crazy irradiated beetle not only defeats him, but takes his enlarging gas from him, sends Ant-Man down into a pit, and takes the enlarging gas and makes himself into a gigantic irradiated beetle a gigantic evil beetle. He says, we insects who number in the trillions shall seize control of the earth from mankind. He then orders termites to tear down electrical poles. He orders all sorts of insects to steal dynamite from soldiers.
1: And that, and that dynamite panel is, uh, shall we say dynamite? Uh, that dynamite I, I, panel I, is dynamite. <laughs> I love the idea of this soldier, you know, like, I'm going to guard this ammo dump. You know, I'm going to guard this armory. No one's getting past me. Meanwhile, in the back, They're all just moving every box of dynamite (laughs) out of this room. You know, it's like bugs, (laughs) spiders, and
0: grasshoppers steal the dynamite. And then uh, spiders have been biting people. It turns out everybody except for the ants, the ants are loyal to Ant-Man. And sure enough, the ants rescue Ant-Man from the pit he's been tossed into. uh, Once again, honey ants. As you did some research, you found out there is such a thing as a honey ant, sort of. And once again, (laughs) he's got honey ants leading the way. His ants are such are so brainwashed into following his orders instead of remaining any sort of solidarity with their fellow insects that they even get a bunch of DDT. They're like, oh, you want a bunch of DDT? And, man, we we see no problem with that. We love DDT. (laughs) I
1: have the same sort of of thought. It's just sort of like, yeah, that's a little dark.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's really testing their loyalty. So then eventually Ant-Man and uh, Ant-Man, who is small, is fighting Scarlet, the Scarlet Beetle, who is big,
1: in a Toy Story. Well, hold on, wait, let, let me take a break for a second here, but while we're talking about the DDT, that, you know, I think that they're just in such a headspace of working with the Comics Code Authority, where, you know, no one can ever die and there can't be too much violence and this, that, and the other, that they don't even have this kill those bugs Says the DDT has weakened them. They're flying away. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, they're they're bugs. And they're bugs working to try to overthrow humanity and take over the earth. I think it's okay for a few of them to die.
0: And they're being sprayed with DDT. They're probably not gonna jar it out too well. Right. So
1: then so
0: then he Ant-Man finds up having his big fun of battle with Scarlet Beetle in a Toy Story ant-man throws a lance at the scarlet beetle He's still wearing ant-man's enlarging and shrinking gases he uses the lance to lance the shrinking gas the reducing gas canister scarlet beetle is then shrunk down he shoves him inside a balloon and <laughs> then he manages he again can't kill anybody so he manages to counteract the effects of the radiation that gave the scarlet beetle super intelligence reduces him to just being a dumb bug sets him free and then, of course, since this is the Marvel Universe, the cops, after Ant-Man has rescued humanity from the Scarlet Beetle, the cops are sitting around going like, I guess we'll never really know what happened. But what about that Ant-Man? I wonder if he was afraid to tackle the Scarlet Beetle. He was nowhere around. And just the time when we need him the most. So, and of course, Ant-Man can only sort
1: of you know listen to this and as he is constantly spying on the police (laughs) he is uh, with the police's knowledge apparently because they know about the uh the the you know gang of ants that just hangs around waiting to like pass messages to them
0: yes um and uh and so of course nobody nobody in the marvel universe has ever appreciated so another quick 10 page ant-man story the last in our lineup, and the last in their hearts, I think it is safe to say, <laughs> a, a book that uh, they put the least amount of work into. it. Literally, they put the least amount of work into it because these stories are just ten pages.
1: <laughs> yes, well, you know, uh, not not everything can be uh, not everything can be you know the majesty that is Pastepot Pete. some or even. You get- or even either of those Hulk stories.
0: Both of those Hulk stories had <laughs> ten times more imagination than this story did.
1: Yes, absolutely. Now I I swear there's some point here in these early Ant Man things where they still mention Central City at some point. I swear. Let I, it I go, man. That, Let it go. Uh, was I? I, I uh, okay. I'm. I, I will be. I will be. revenged Um, with this uh, when 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 it comes up at some point here, but I keep looking for it and haven't seen it yet. No, you, I never, I'm going to go ahead and go ahead and say now that from the beginning, you've
0: been saying, well, like later in Ant-Man, they mentioned Central City and I've been going like, yeah, Steve's completely nuts. That's not true. (laughs) But I'm going to let him just have his little fantasy because I don't think he ever mentioned Central City
1: uh, again in Ant-Man. Okay. But Um, uh, we'll see. Well, now, now I've just set you up for your final defeat. In this yes case. um so yeah we'll, we'll we'll see um like i said I, if not then i'm losing my mind and can't trust my own memories so
0: you know, okay that's, that's fun so <laughs> january 1963 gets off to a bang a lot of great issues i think you know we always talked about when are we going to have our first episode of this comic without a major character being introduced i guess it's how you feel about paste pete uh <laughs> determines whether or not we've had an episode without a major character being introduced but uh I certainly, I I love Pace Pot Pete, you know, and they get a lot of good trapster stories out of them over the years. One of my favorites is there's a later John Byrne Fantastic Four story, which has the trapster going to defeat the Fantastic Four, and the entire story consists of him getting trapped by the automated defense system of the Baxter building, and
1: the Fantastic Four never finds out he attacked them. <laughs> <laughs> i I did not remember that but that sounds that john burn right john Byrne got a whole comic out of that
0: because <laughs> <laughs> Byrne was amazingly imaginative yep. okay so um anyway so we've had a good month we're about to have the kirby apocalypse so. so yes yeah. so, okay <laughs>
1: sorry go ahead i'll shut up no i got nothing more to say what do you got to say I uh, uh, just thank you everybody for listening and uh, we will look forward to seeing you uh, again here next. Uh, I guess we're doing this bi-weekly at this point, right? So that, uh, two weeks from now. I think whatever we say is what we will not keep to. So if we say, <laughs> If we if say we bi-weekly, say, we'll go back to weekly at this point, right?
0: Yes. Uh, all The only thing I can say for sure is whatever we say we will do is what we will not do. So, but let's say that we are doing this bi-weekly and we will see you in two weeks
1: yeah let's go ahead and say that so uh thank you very much everybody and um we look forward to uh spending to reading more comics with you and we're we're trying to set up guest episodes where <laughs> yes. we've got a couple of them
0: we're going to try to sp-
1: episodes where we have guests where we we've, can got like two, we've got like two we've got we have got like two or three people we've been uh we've been talking to so hopefully we'll have uh more than just the two of us on here at some point that would be great okay right. talk to you soon bye all right bye take care
0: Thank you for listening to Marvel Reread Club. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you found us. Go to secretsofstory.com and click on Marvel Reread Club in the sidebar to find notes and join the discussion about this episode. See you next time.